Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Pastor Jake Kale. God, we just give you this time and we ask you to use it for your presence, for your glory, for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 9. I want to talk about bringing deliverance to a generation. Bringing deliverance to a generation. Bringing freedom to a generation. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. It says, when he came to the disciples. Now, I need to probably give a little bit of context so you can know where where this is coming from. So the, the story before that, the verses before that, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John. He had taken them up on a mountain. We know we call the Mount of Transfiguration. He had taken them up, and in Luke's version, it says they went up to pray. Uh, it says that they were, they were up there together, and that as Jesus was praying, it says that he was transfigured, transformed, and his face began to shine like light. His clothes were bright, Brighter than a launderer's soap, it said. And he was having this this encounter. So Jesus is up there, and he's with the Father, and he's praying. And Peter, James, and John are experiencing this. And all of a sudden, there's a cloud of God's glory that comes. And they're they're fearful, and they're, they're not sure what to do. And then a voice, the voice of God speaks to them. This is my son. Listen to him. So they've had this incredible mountaintop experience, quite literally. Literally had a mountaintop experience. They, they had been up in the presence of God. They had been up experiencing God like very, very, very few people ever have. I mean, think, it's so easy to read those stories and just gloss over it. I mean, they saw the cloud of God's glory come down. They heard the voice of Father God speaking. They saw Jesus transformed. And so they had this experience, and so much so that Jesus said, don't even talk about this till after the resurrection. Keep it, I don't want this you know, being spread around yet. So that's where they had just come from. And then we get to verse 14, when he, had came, when he came back to the disciples. So now he comes to the other nine disciples. He saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. They were having a little debate or argument of sorts. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. He said to the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. A mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. I'm amazed by Jesus' response here. He answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation. He didn't say, "Ah, No worries, guys. It's okay. I got this one. Don't worry. No, he was like kind of upset about it. He said, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him, who is the boy, to him, who is Jesus. They brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. He asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often it has thrown him both into the fire, into the water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out 
convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he, be, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you're reading from another translation, some translations don't have and fasting. You might see a footnote with it. It all depends on what the original manuscript was that it drew from. I, I, I like the New King James Version. I like the, I like the King James you know, tradition. I believe uh, it's very accurate. There's no perfect translation. They're all drawing from manuscripts and doing their best to interpret, right? But, um, but I, I believe that prayer and fasting is in, in it. It's in, my, it's in mine. <laughs> now, I'm just going to touch on this story. I'm going to just use this story as a basis for this message. I'm going to draw from certain parts of it. But again, if you look at the context, right, they had been on the mountaintop. How many people like the mountaintop? Only a few? Oh. Right? We all like the mountaintop. The mountaintop represents the place of encounter. All throughout scripture, it was the place of meeting with God. Moses went up on the mountain, and God came down and met with him face to face. The mountaintop is the place where God visits you. The mountaintop is the place of prayer. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of intercession. The mountaintop is a place of revelation of God and fellowship with him and, again, encounter with him. And we all love that. But I want you to notice that the mountaintop was not a permanent state. The mountaintop was not where Jesus lived. The mountaintop is where Jesus visited. And he brought, this time he brought the disciples with him, his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. Because the Bible said that Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. He would withdraw sometimes to the wilderness, sometimes to a high mountain, but he would often get alone with the Father. This time he brought his three most close disciples with him so that they could also experience what he was experiencing. And they had this mountaintop encounter. And even Peter wanted them to stay. He said, well, we could just make three tents, three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. By the way, in that encounter, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, them as well. Pretty crazy story. But, but the purpose of the mountaintop is not to stay on the mountain. The purpose of the mountaintop is not to stay in the mountain because in the valley there's a boy demonized that needs deliverance. Because when you come down the mountain, you're going to encounter darkness. When you come down the mountain, you're going to encounter need. When you come down the mountain, you're going to encounter the lost. When you come down the mountain, you're going to encounter the sick or the tormented or the bound or the oppressed. And so Jesus lived in this balance of private devotion and public ministry. He lived in a balance of personal fellowship with God and fulfilling a mission of, of preaching the gospel and setting people free. He lived in that balance. And we need to walk in that balance as well because the mountaintop is glorious. But we can't stay there. I think we should live from the mountaintop, though from the secret place, from the place of prayer, from the place of encounter, but then we go out into our world around us. And that could be our home, that could be the marketplace, that could be our business, that could be our school, that could be our neighbors, that could be all sorts of situations. It's, the, it's prayer combined with the mission. It's the waiting combined with warring. I talked about that last week, right? We wait on the Lord, but we also are warring in the Lord. It's a combination. We get refreshed, but we're still in the midst of a battle. And as long as we're living on this earth, we're going to be in that balance, in that tension of those different areas. So we need the encounter, but we don't stay in the encounter, because there's a purpose for it, and guess what? The purpose is not for you. 
God doesn't pour out his spirit upon us to anoint us just so that we can have a good time. Does God want us to have a good time? Yeah, he's a good father. He, he loves his children. Does sometimes we, we, need, we need to receive just to be blessed? That, yeah, absolutely. But it's, that's not the purpose. That's not the end game. That's not the end goal. God doesn't anoint you for your own benefit. He anoints you for the benefit of the demonized boy that you're going to encounter when you come down from the mountain. The person that's in need, the person around you. So he comes down that mountain and they're having this argument, they're having this dispute. They're having a theological debate of some sort. It's just so interesting to me because they lacked, for some reason, they lacked the power of God to do what God had already commissioned them to do. Because in, in Mark chapter 6, you can read it later, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he had called the 12 together and he had sent them out and he, it says he gave them authority over all unclean spirits, over every demon. And he had sent them out. And they had already cast out demons. They had already preached the gospel. They had already done this. But for some reason, they bumped into a situation where they weren't able to do it. They weren't able to accomplish it. And it just stuck out to me that he came down the mountain and they're like discussing, disputing, debating. You know what that says to me? When we lack the power of God, we resort to arguing. When we lack the presence and power of God, we're only left to try to persuade and argue and debate because we lack the power of God. But the scripture says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And Paul said, I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. But what happens is when we don't have the power of God, like we're supposed to have the power of God, we're only left to fight with our words. We're only left to argue. We're only left to have theological debates. Words are important. God works through words, through preaching. Even the Apostle Paul, he also, he was very good at speaking and teaching and even debating, but that wasn't what he relied on. He said, I didn't want your faith to be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. That's what he said to the Corinthians. That's why he said, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words. I didn't come to you with a nice sounding argument. I didn't come to you with a polished sermon. I didn't come to you with these glossy words. He said, because I didn't want your faith to rest in the wisdom of man. I wanted your faith to rest in the power of God. Because when your faith rests in the power of God, nobody can take it away from you. And one of the reasons we're seeing people fall away from the faith is because their faith was not in the power of God. It was not based in the power of God. It was based on wise and persuasive words. And that's not going to cut it. Because if somebody can talk you into it, somebody can talk you out of it. But when you've seen God for yourself, nobody can take it away from you. When you've encountered the living God, you might, you might fight stuff, you might wrestle stuff, you might encounter stuff that you don't know how to explain, but you can rest and say, I'm not sure, but this is what I know. Like the blind man in John chapter nine, they're trying to have this debate with him. They're trying to say, you know, well, who is this guy who healed you? How did he, he, he must be a sinner. And, and you know what his response was? Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know, I used to be blind, but now I can see. And there's nobody that can take that from him. He was born blind. Jesus opened his eyes. No university professor can talk him out of what happened. No argument, no high-sounding humanistic philosophy can turn him away from it. No atheistic philosophy can change the fact that he was born blind and he could see. And this is missing in our generation. It's missing, especially in our Western culture.
This boy to me represents a generation. This boy represents a generation. And I don't just mean like young, although children are a big part of that. But it represents our generation. And the church, now many, many times we in the church, we've been powerless to actually meet the needs of a generation. And you know what happens? When there is a void, the enemy fills the void. Because there's no such thing as neutrality in the spiritual realm. There's no such thing as neutrality. There's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of darkness. When God commissions the church to heal the sick and cast out demons, if the church doesn't do that, guess who's waiting with a counterfeit? It, it doesn't stay neutral. If light doesn't fill the vacuum, darkness does. And that's why in hospitals, our nurses could attest to this, they have new age Reiki healing groups that go in and train nurses how to, how to, how to do this new age, it's, it's demonic. It's empowered by demons. Literally, it's empowered by demons and they can go into the hospitals. But why is it? It's the counterfeit to the church. Jesus said you'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And in the absence of the true power of God, the void. We, we need to bring deliverance to a generation. Just like the only answer to this young boy's problems, the only answer that would have solved his problems was deliverance from the tormenting demon that had been afflicting him, apparently from childhood. We don't know how this evil spirit gotten in this boy. We don't know how, what opened the door. We don't know what happened if it was a traumatic experience, if there was idolatry or a cult or generational influence. We don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't give us the details. But we know that this young boy was being tormented by a demon. And the only answer was to deliver him from that demon. We have a generation that needs deliverance. We have a generation that needs deliverance from powers of darkness. The, the level of occultic influence in society continues to, just continues to go, continues to soar. It's in the entertainment. Just go to Barnes & Noble. Go to Barnes & Noble. Just look at the popular book section. Look at what they're pitching to children. The devil goes after the kid, for people from the time they're... In the womb, first of all, goes after the children. Look, what, look, what, look what's popular in TV and in movies. The occult influence, the dark influence is in our face. The level of trauma in this generation, the level of abuse in this generation, the level of brokenness in families in this generation, the level of drug abuse that's going on in this time, in this generation, the level of darkness in this time. I'm not saying this to be gloom and doom. I'm saying this because there's a generation that needs to experience the delivering power of God. And it's the only thing that's gonna set them free. It's not gonna be because they heard a nice sounding sermon. This boy didn't need another sermon. He didn't need a pat on the back. He didn't need a good argument. We have sin and deception and confusion just rampant in our society. Sexual perversion just climbing and increasing. Confusion of identity and, and of what's perverse and what's not and what's pure and what's not and what's love and what's not. Uh, the a humanistic love perverting sexual uh, immorality and just taking it to higher extremes. We have an entertainment realm that's filled with a demise. We have a generation that needs deliverance. And so many in the church 
have tried to be relevant through being hip and cool and looking like the world and getting cozy with entertainment and entertainers. I mean, like, we've tried to be relevant by looking like the world instead of having the solution to what the world needs. We've tried to be relevant, but we've become powerless. I want to be relevant to the demonized boy. That's who I want to be relevant to. I want to be relevant to, the, to, the, to a generation that needs to experience the presence of God in a tangible way, that needs to experience the love of God in their heart, that needs to experience the power of God that sets them free from bondage and addiction and captivity. And I'm telling you, the church that will not take up the call to cast out demons will be irrelevant to a demonized culture. The church that will not take the commission of Jesus seriously because he gave this to us, the church that will not take it seriously will be irrelevant to a demonized culture. Does this make sense? Trying to discern where to go. Just this past week, I went to a ministry school down the road, did two days of teaching on deliverance basics. Rachel was there. She's one of our, she's an intern on staff, and she helps in the prayer ministry and deliverance area. She came and helped minister and assisted, and uh, there was probably about 30 students there, probably about 30 students. Now, this is a ministry school that is, that is on fire with the Holy Spirit's presence and power and believes in the supernatural, and I did two days of teaching and ministry to these students and taught on deliverance basics, the reality of the demonic realm and demonic influence, the reality of the authority we've been given in Christ, the what opens the door, how do unclean spirits operate, how do they gain access to people's lives, and we led the, the group in a time of ministry, and at the end, I had people raise their hands and that they had felt something leaving them, coming out of them. And I would guess 75% of the people raised their hand. Is that, would you say that's accurate? Or more. 75% or more of the students had raised their hand that they had experienced deliverance. And some were very tangible you know, manifestations, and some weren't as visible and tangible. And then there was people watching online that also experienced deliverance. Why do I say that? Because, listen, if that group of people needs deliverance, imagine what the world needs. And maybe their condition wasn't as bad as the boy in the story, but they were still under demonic influence. There were still areas of their life. One young lady told me that she cried for the first time in six years when she experienced deliverance. And she was being healed of stuff from her childhood and different trauma that had been going. She, and she, I saw her being ministered to. I saw her weeping and crying. And I had a word for her and shared it. And then the next day she shared to the group. She had not cried. She had just shut down her emotions. She had just shut down what had happened in her childhood. And she cried for the first time in six years. So Jesus, he sees the situation. He doesn't let the disciples off the hook here. Right? Because again, he had already given them the authority, he had already given them the commission, already given them the power to do this. And so he says, Man, guys, I thought we I thought we covered this. I thought we I thought we did this already. So he steps in to fill in the gap. 
The father of the boy comes and he's interceding for his child. He's weeping. He's in tears. He's crying out for his boy that's being tormented. Jesus steps in. He takes authority. He says he rebukes the unclean spirit in verse 25. And he says, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out. The demon obeys. He listens. The boy is healed, set free. But I want to focus on verse 29. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, we're in the middle of a 21-day fast. People are fasting different ways, maybe picking certain days throughout the week. Some people might be fasting the whole time. Some people might be fasting a couple days a week. However, God is leading each person. But we're in the middle of this time of fasting, and I believe it is very significant, not only because of the election season we're in, but also for the deliverance weekend that's happening this Friday and Saturday right here in this room. We are praying and fasting ahead of time, interceding for people that maybe we've never even met before. They're going to be walking through these doors and that are in need of freedom. Because a lifestyle of prayer and fasting changes things. Now, I don't understand all how this works, but it's very interesting to me what Jesus said. This kind, apparently speaking of the demon, this kind of demon, does it only comes out except by prayer and fasting. And there's different debates about this passage and what did Jesus mean. I just take it to mean what it says pretty plainly. If you read it in Matthew's version, he also highlights unbelief. He says that they had unbelief. So that was also a factor that was hindering them. And so maybe it's the lifestyle of prayer and fasting that puts you in a position of intimacy with God and faith so that when you're in the situation, you have the faith to cast out the demon. It's not like you're earning points or like you're earning your authority, but in the spiritual realm, there's something that happens when we fast and when we pray. Because when Jesus gave that command, it was backed by a personal history of, with God. It was backed by a 40-day fast he had done earlier. It was backed by a history of the mountaintop. It was backed by a history in the secret place. Because before Jesus ever defeated the devil in public, he defeated him in private. He wrestled with him for 40 days in the wilderness. He was fasting. Nobody saw it. It wasn't public. It was private. Nobody knew what was going on. But he conquered the devil in private so that when he stepped onto the scene in, the, in Mark 1, he gets to, uh, to the synagogue and a demon manifests. He takes authority. He says, be quiet. He had already conquered the devil in private. So he stood in a position of authority and he took authority and he conquered him in public. There's something about the secret place. There's something about your personal history with God. There's something about fasting. Now, I know we're in a time of corporate fasting, so we're doing it in a unified way. But there's something about doing it even in secret when nobody even knows you're fasting, when you're just doing it out of obedience to God, when you're crying out to God. There's something about the compassion of God that begins to come. There's something about the heart of God when you begin to intercede for people in the secret place. And when you begin to cry out to God and fast, it has an impact on the spiritual realm. I was reminded of this book I'd read many years ago, and then I picked it back up and read it maybe two years ago. It's called The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting. It's by a guy named Mahesh Shavda. It's a really good book, very challenging book. The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting. He was mentored by Derek Prince, and Derek Prince was somebody that I learned a lot from, uh, not, never met him in person, but learned from his books and his teachings. But in this book, he talks about his journey, how God led him into prayer and fasting, and how it impacts deliverance, how it impacts the spiritual realm. And he actually made this statement in the first, I think it's the first chapter, where he said, demons don't like being around people who fast. But he told this story. He said years ago, this is probably now back in the 70s. This book was written in the late 90s. But early on, before he was pastoring, before he was leading ministries and doing crusades around the world and evangelism, he was, he was a worker at a hospital that specialized in um, helping children that had mental handicaps. And so he was in this hospital and there was these tormented young people, boys and girls. Some were young, some were children, some were teenagers. 
and, and he was just there to help. He was there to serve. He was there. And at, at one point, he began to see God begin to move. He began to pray as he could. He began to see some healings happen. He began to see God begin to break into these situations and to see some uh, of these young people being touched by God and changed. But there was one boy in particular. He called him Stevie in the book. It wasn't his real name. He called him Stevie. He said Stevie was a 16-year-old boy. And he said that Stevie um, had Down syndrome, but, but more, he had, a, he had a tormenting spirit where he would mutilate himself, where he would beat himself, where he would hurt himself. And none of the, none of the kids could be, around, or could be around them. They had to tie, they had to, you know, they, they got approval to do shock therapy, I don't know if they do that anymore, but back in the 70s they did. They were on, you know, shock, electric shock therapy, and they were, you know, had to, they had to keep his hands tied up to protect him from harming himself, beating himself. And so one time he was just crying, crying out to God. He said, God, what is the answer for Stevie? God, you, you're supposed to be the God. What is the answer for Stevie? And he heard the Holy Spirit say as loud as he could, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. He heard the Holy Spirit say it to him. And he didn't even know that verse was because the Bible college he went to didn't teach on fasting or deliverance or any of this stuff. He didn't even know it was a statement from the Bible until he found it. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So he begins to fast. He didn't know anything about fasting, so he just stopped eating and drinking everything. No food, no water. And about three days in, the Lord spoke to him and said, you can drink water now. <laughs> so he started drinking water. And he kept fasting all, all foods. And I think it was day 13 or 14 in. The Lord spoke to him and said, now you can go pray for Stevie. And so he got into the hospital that day. And he, got, he went in to see Stevie. And he began to speak to Stevie, and he said something along these lines. I'm paraphrasing it. He said something like, he began to speak to Stevie's spirit, and he said, he said, I know you can't fully understand, but I'm speaking to you, but your spirit knows I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I come on the authority of the name of Jesus, and I command this foul spirit of self-mutilation to come out of you right now. And he said when he said that, he flew back, he flew six feet back, by the power of God, just knocked backwards, hit the wall. And he said there was this foul smell that just, like rotten eggs, like sulfur, just began to fill the room, and then it eventually left. And he said Stevie kind of came to himself, and he began looking at his hands. He began just looking in amazement, and he wasn't compelled to hurt himself. He wasn't compelled to hit himself. And so they, he untied the, the um, stints that were there, the, the tape that was there. And for the first time in I don't know how many years, he was set free from any compulsion to hurt himself, to mutilate himself. See, we love that story. Don't we love that story? Isn't that amazing? But are we willing to pay the price for that story? Are we willing to count the cost? Are we willing for the intercession in the secret place? Are we willing to fast? Not to impress anybody, not to let anybody know, not to get points with God or anything like that. Are we willing to do what it takes in God's ways, in God's kingdom? I believe the Lord is really speaking this, that he, that, and I'm going to share a couple prophetic words that have been released recently, that the Lord is wanting to bring deliverance back to the forefront. God is wanting to bring deliverance back to the forefront of his church because it is desperately needed in this generation and in this time. And when Jesus began his ministry, 
Deliverance was front and center. It was one of the main things he did. It was so common that you couldn't hang around Jesus for long without seeing him deliver people from demons. And somehow in the Western church, the ones who do deliverance are looked at as weird. And looked at as out there, looked at as bizarre. And I, I do get that there are some who maybe use deliverance in a way that is out there or extreme or bizarre. There are fringes. But I'm always amazed by this. I'm always, maybe I'm just too naive. I just think, well, if people would, could see it in the Bible, then why, why would they think it was weird? I'm just like, what's so weird? If you think this is weird, what would you do following Jesus around? How would you, how would you handle it? Like, we're believers, right? We believe the Bible. Jesus is our example. It was, I never heard about this growing up. I never did deliverance. I never saw it, but I saw in the Bible and I'm asking, Lord, God, where is this? God sovereignly led me into it. God gave me a dream. I cast out a demon in a dream before I ever did it in real life. God gave me, he trained me in a dream, in different dreams. But once it clicked, once I saw it, once I saw it in the word, I'm like, this is so normal. And I believe God is ready to release a new wave, a new move of his spirit related to deliverance. And I'm asking you as a church family, are you willing to count the cost? Are we willing to count the cost of what it's going to take to see a demonized boy delivered and to see a generation set free? Because you better believe it's going to be costly. Are you okay with being associated with that church? I just kind of forgot. I just kind of forget that people think it's crazy and weird. I just, you know, I remember a couple years ago, I was on Facebook Lives and talking about my new book, and people were like, oh, man. Are you, people are going to think you're, you know, whatever, or um, backlash. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just normal. But it's costly, but it's worth it. Let me read this prophetic word. This was uh, released by a guy named Anthony Medina. I never met him. We've interacted a little bit on social media. Uh, he's a... a probably same generation as me, probably same age group, and uh, I knew he's connected to Dutch Sheets and, and some others. And, um, but he, he, I saw this come through uh, on the Elijah list in August, and I didn't even read it until a couple, like, last week. I just, like, it was in my inbox for so long. And it said, the, 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 the subject line was, massive deliverance is coming during this season. I'm like, okay, I gotta keep that. I gotta, I'm not gonna delete that. I'm gonna go back and read it. And I finally read it, like, a week or so ago. And I'm gonna read part of it, what he said. Because I believe it's speaking into this season and for us as a church body and what God wants to do into this next year as well. He said, while in prayer and meditation on August 9th, 2020, I kept hearing the Lord say that he was bringing deliverance out of the back room and into the spotlight. Now that's enough right there for me to do a dance up here. <laughs> Come on now. Bringing deliverance out of the back room into the spotlight. Because for Jesus, it was in the front and center. He wasn't ashamed of it. The church has become ashamed of it. Back in the 60s and 70s, I wasn't even born, but there was a move of deliverance that happened. Some of you may were part of that and experienced it. And there was these different, you know, the Derek Princes and Don Basham and um, I could probably name a few others, but they were, they were, you know, deliverance was happening and, you know, maybe, maybe it got a little bit out of balance and extreme. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I hear stories. But, but God was breathing on it. God was moving on it. God was restoring this ministry back to the church. And then, you know, the 70s, the 80s, and then it gets kind of like it got put in the back room, literally. And then even churches that believed in it wouldn't even talk about it. They would never do it publicly. They would never teach on it, you know. And so, and so all, what about all the people that need help? 
People might, you know, people ask, what if somebody gets offended? What, what if somebody gets set free? We cannot take our cues from the culture. We take our cues from the king. We take our cues from Jesus. We take our cues from the word of God. And if a culture thinks we're crazy because we believe in deliverance from demons, so be it. I just don't care. I really don't. Tell your doctor that you got delivered from a demon and then you feel better. See what he thinks. I better, I better get back to this word here. Got one sentence in. Bringing it out of the back room. It's time to make deliverance normal again. So he goes on. He says, when I inquired what this meant, he said that people had been praying and fasting. Listen to that. Praying and fasting for miracles. So in response to the prayers of his people, God is going to release a wave of the, quote, forgotten one, deliverance. From now to November. Isn't it interesting our deliverance weekend is the last two days in October into November? From now to November, as preparation for 2021, which God said would be the year of dynamic delivering power. Yeah. Woo! The Lord then showed me a picture of a calendar and church gatherings happening in different parts of the world. As the calendar went through August into September, November, these gatherings would experience spontaneous moments of deliverance. Then the Lord said, do not hinder or fear my delivering power in these months because valuable lessons will come to your leaders through these spontaneous moments of deliverance. There are people that will be delivered in the next months that God will use as great deliverers in 2021. And he had a couple, he listed a bunch of the stories of Jesus casting out demons. And then he did a couple sections, and one was mass deliverance. He said, I saw multitudes in regular Sunday morning gatherings, insert evening gatherings. They were being touched by the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way. The oppressors, keeping them held back, had no choice but to leave. Some of these mass deliverances were initiated sovereignly by the Holy Spirit, but others were because the one speaking was very aware of the authority and weight of heaven that he or she carried. When we become aware of the authority that God's given us, the anointing of God's Spirit to set people free. He went on and he began to talk about young adults. He saw deliverance hitting young adults, and then he talked about children. He had a whole paragraph about he began to see children who had been harassed and oppressed by demons that were being delivered and being set free. So I knew that, I, I, I mean, I just resonated so deep. Of course, I know this is an area I'm drawn to and have a calling and minister to, but just sense such a, an, um, a confirmation what I had already been sensing in my heart and in my spirit. So just a couple days later, I read this other word, and it was just posted by a guy on Facebook, a guy named Jordan Wells. And he, 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 it was called the Deliverance Revival. He said, the Lord is going to use many of you in this generation to free his people from spiritual bondage. For God is raising up Moseses in this generation that will go before Pharaohs and declare, let my people go. For God is calling many into the deliverance ministry in this hour. For my people are in bondage to spirits of fear, addiction, and perversion. I am releasing the spirit of Moses on sons and daughters. For the Red Sea is about to part across America and the nations. Deliverance ministry will no longer be relegated to the back room of the church. We are about to see a revival of the deliverance ministry sweep to the church. Millions will be set free by the glory and power of the Holy Spirit. God's bringing deliverance back to the forefront. Back to the front. Back to the center. And it's not because deliverance is the end-all, be-all. Deliverance is not, deliverance is not everything. Deliverance is not an end in itself. Deliverance is meant to be a beginning, not an end. 
but it's a necessary step because if Israel was still in bondage to Egypt, they could have never got to the promised land. And when God's people are still wrapped up by different areas in their life, oppression and torment and bondage, affliction, different things, these chains that are tying them down, they cannot move forward into everything God has for them. So if this, by the way, if this is a brand new concept for you, I'm not really able to get into the nitty-gritty teaching of this. So I'd encourage you to come on next week on Friday and Saturday. I encourage everyone to come. But specifically, if this is like a newer, I'm going to be teaching on this and diving into more biblical teaching on it and ministering. Let's stand to our feet. Chad, could you come? I'm trying to rein myself in a little bit. I believe there's an invitation now, I said this, I think, last week. I said, I think it was last week, we were announcing the, the upcoming conference and you know, my, the book launch. By the way, that book launch, it's next Saturday on the, on, at 5 o'clock. I would, would love to see you there if you're able to make it. I, I, am, I am not just seeing that as a book launch. I'm seeing it as a book commissioning. That to commission the message to, go re, to be released across this nation across the nations of the earth. Barry Whistler is going to be there. He's going to help speak and, and pray. We invited some others. And, um, but I believe there's an invitation here for our church body. What I said last week, I said, please don't think of deliverance as a Jake thing. Don't, please don't just think, oh, that's, just, you know, that's Jake's area. Because it's not a Jake thing. It's a Jesus thing. I'm only doing it because Jesus said to. And I'm not saying every person is going to, I mean, we all have different areas where God calls us to. I'm not saying it's going to look the same way it does for me, or it's going to be just, for some of you, I believe there's going to be a strong calling in the area of deliverance. For some of you that are here in this room and even that are listening on this live stream and audio, I believe there's going to be a strong calling in the area of deliverance. And just like, you know, not everyone's called to maybe lead worship like Chad does, but we're all worshipers, aren't we? Not everyone's called to be a five-fold ministry type evangelist, but we all can share the gospel. Not everyone is gonna be a prophet, but you may all prophesy. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a church thing. This is a body thing. This is not just a Jake thing. I, my heart over this weekend and this, this next year is to really begin to impart, equip, and to raise up an army to set captives free. Literally, as I was preaching, I just saw it come through in my email, there was a deliverance request that came in. We get requests from all over the nation of people reaching out for help. One lady was in a neighboring city, and she submitted a request this last year. I think, uh, I think Jen and I met with her at that point, and she... She told us, she said, I reached out to about 50 churches and yours was the only church that actually even responded. Now you're telling me we're the, the people of God in this region that all have the authority and the commissioning to cast out demons, but of 50 churches that were contacted, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any others that would say, yes, we're ready for this. We're ready for that demonized boy. We're ready for that person that's addicted, that needs to be broken free. We're ready for it. We're ready for it. This is an invitation. And I want to encourage you, even as you're praying and fasting throughout this week, make this weekend one of the points of intercession for your prayers. You're going to be interceding and praying for people maybe you will never meet until you get to heaven. You're going to be praying and interceding for people that are being tormented by suicidal thoughts. You're going to be praying and interceding for people that are under a spirit of heaviness and dark depression. You're going to be praying and interceding for people that are enslaved to addiction and bondage. And I invite you to join and partner in intercession. And even if you're able to come, to be interceding in that time. And even to receive ministry yourself if there's areas in your own life that you need freedom in. So I want to take the next five, ten minutes. I want us to intercede for this coming weekend specifically. I want us to start it now. I want us to start it now. Start it now so that we can begin to 
carry that into this coming week. I want you just to join with a few people around you just so you can do it. It's kind of in a somewhat of a corporate prayer type setting. And let's take the next couple minutes, five minutes or so first, just interceding for this coming weekend. I believe the Lord wants to move even now in this room and bringing freedom to people in this room. And even those that are watching on this, watching this video, watching the live stream. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead us in like a real mini version of a deliverance prayer, just to help show you what it's like. The Bible says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he'll flee. Those are two important components of prayer for deliverance, submitting to God, it's agreeing with Him, maybe it's repentance, forgiveness, renouncing things that are dark spiritual practices, anything like that, repenting, and then resisting the devil, commanding him to go in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna lead us in a real short prayer for that, and then I'm gonna pray over you as a congregation, and then as we, and then as we dismiss, we're gonna have some of our prayer team members uh, to, to pray for anyone that wants to receive ministry, because even in this room right now, I don't wanna miss a chance to, to minister to those that you yourself are feeling is some area of your life that's under demonic influence. It doesn't mean you're an evil person. It doesn't mean you're possessed, but there's something in your life, there's something where the enemy has gotten a foothold or a stronghold, oppression, torment, fear. So I'm just gonna, I want you just to pray this out real quick with me. Do it with authority, let's do it out loud and with boldness and faith, ready? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you are the only way to the Father, and I believe that you came in the flesh and that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose from the dead, and that you're seated at the right hand of the Father. I submit myself to you, God. I want every area of my life to agree with your word. Now I want you to take a minute as we're waiting and just, if there's anything you need to get right with God, if there's anyone you need to forgive, if there's any sin you need to repent of, if there's a sin you need to just confess to the Lord, if there's an area of bondage you're seeking freedom and just begin to ask God for that. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just keep, let's uh, finish this prayer here. Say, say, Lord Jesus, I renounce the kingdom of darkness and all of its works. I renounce every unclean spirit that has any influence in my life. And I command you to come out, to go in the name of Jesus. Now I want you just to lift your hands up for a minute. I'm gonna pray. Father, let the power of the Holy Spirit begin to fall in this room right now, God. I pray a release of the anointing of the Spirit of God right now upon every person in this room. God, I ask you to send angels on assignment right now, breaking demonic chains in Jesus' name. I bind Satan in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I take authority over every demon that's influenced anyone in this room. I command you, come out in the name of Jesus right now. I say, go from the people, go right now, go in the name of Jesus. I bind every demonic spirit. I bind every spirit of bondage. I say, go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I cast you out from them, out from them, out from them. I rebuke the spirit of heaviness. I rebuke the spirit of oppression. I say, spirit of oppression, come out in the name of Jesus. Go from their life, go from their life, go from their life, go from their life. In the name of Jesus, that spirit of oppression comes out right now. It goes right now in Jesus' name. I'm gonna stay in this vein. If you need to put your hands down, you can. If you can keep it however you wanna be, I'm gonna stay in this vein. I just sense the Lord breathing on a couple areas. Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the spirit of fear 
In the name of Jesus, I say, spirit of fear, come out from the people right now. Out from them right now. Go from them right now. Leave them right now. In the name of Jesus, I command that spirit of crippling anxiety to go out right now, to leave the people, to go from them. In the name of Jesus. By the authority of Jesus' name, I rebuke the spirit of suicide. I say, spirit of suicide, come out in the name of Jesus. Every spirit that would bring suicidal thoughts and hopelessness, I command you to come out now, to leave them. Loose the people in Jesus' name. I break your power. I break the spirit of addiction in the name of Jesus Christ. I say, spirit of addiction, out from them right now. You go from their lives. I rebuke the spirit of infirmity. Every spirit that brings affliction, infirmity, or pain, I say, come out from the people now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spirit of infirmity and pain, go, 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 go. In the name of Jesus, you leave the people. I speak to every spirit that came into somebody's life through trauma or through abuse. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command every spirit that came through trauma or abuse, come out right now, go right now from their lives, out in the name of the Lord Jesus. You go from them now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you for washing us, cleansing us with your blood. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, God. Let's just wait on the Lord for a minute. God, I pray for your peace, the peace of God, the peace of God, the peace of God to fill people's hearts and minds. I just want to pause for a minute and just like look up here. Just how many, how many people as we're going through those prayers of deliverance, how many people actually felt something like lifting off or leaving them or going out? Would you, would you lift your hands up? Is there anybody? Just, just lift them up real high and just kind of wave. Was this, was this the section of the room? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, let's clap our hands. It's awesome. Was there anybody on this side of the room or was it everyone on this side? Was there anybody on this side? So God had his, God had his hand on this side of the room. No. Um, that's awesome. Lift your hands up again if that was you. Just lift your hands up if that was you. Wow. Let's just give the Lord praise again. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for how you're moving. I thank you, God. We just say yes and amen. We say yes and amen, Father, to embracing, Lord, this call to see deliverance come to a generation. How many people sense the stirring of that as I was preaching? How many people sense the stirring of just embracing a call to see deliverance come to a generation? Father, I just ask right now, even from out of this room, from out of this room, God, would you release an anointing of deliverance, God? Would you release an anointing to set captives free, God, over the people in this room? God, would you equip us? Would you lead us? Would you empower us, God, to see deliverance, not just in the church service, but in our house, God, in our business, Lord, with our family members? God, that it would not just be about a person, an individual, but an army of people that you're raising up to set captives free. So even right now, God, I pray, let the power of the Holy Spirit come upon these people in this room. God, let, let there be an anointing that gets multiplied. God, I pray, even anything you've given me in this area, God, let, it, let, let there be a double portion that falls upon the people in this room. Let there be more. Let it increase, God. And Father, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit afresh. Fill us with the Holy Spirit of the living God in a fresh way. Release your peace. Release your grace. Direct our steps, Father, as we go from this place. Draw us in intercession this weekend. In fasting and prayers, we prepare for what you want to do this weekend. We just say thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. 
We give you the honor. We give you glory. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a praise, a clap of praise, a shout of praise? Amen. 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 For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com.